You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. If this is your first time hearing about Exodus and their brand of trail cameras, all of their cameras are backed by a five-year no BS warranty and even includes five-year theft and damage coverage. They simply have the best trail camera warranty in the industry and have the customer service to support everything that you need, right? So currently in the month of April, and that's only for April 2nd and April 3rd, they are running a special. You can get 20% off the Exodus Trek and the Exodus Lift 2 by using the code APRIL. Uh, you can also visit their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, for more information. So go check out their cameras, and let's get into today's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest show on earth. My name is Dan Johnson. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And uh, if you like hunting, you are in the right spot. Now, today we're joined once again by my brother in hunting arms, Justin Czar of Bowhunter Die, bowhunting.com. Uh, most of you guys already know who he is, but this is just a great BS session. Uh, we talk about some of his recent scouting trips to Iowa and Kentucky to prepare for the upcoming season. We talk about Jesse Smollett. We talk about uh, kids and the wife. We talk about a whole bunch of different things, but the main focus today is about scouting and how he's preparing for some of these big trips to Iowa, to uh, Kentucky, to try to take advantage of uh, you know the, the preseason work. So that's what today's podcast is about. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. If you haven't subscribed to this post- podcast yet, please do so. You can do that by going to wherever you download these podcasts and just hit the subscribe button. Please go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave a review. Five stars would be great. Um, Also, I'm excited to say that the Nine Finger Chronicles in association with the Sportsman's Nation will be producing its very sh- first short film and uh, that's good we're going to start that process here in the next couple weeks and it's going to be about turkey hunting and it's going to be about how turkey hunting is kind of my family's it's like a new family tradition that we have um, it's about going to be about me and my wife and how we go to my parents for turkey camp every year and uh, it's just a really overall good time so I figured what the hell why not why don't I turn that into a short film and uh, we're going to start recording on that in the next couple weeks so for all of you who have yet to subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel please go do that because that's one of the platforms where it will be released on and uh, I will be providing more information on that before the time comes so just keep an eye out for that other than that man hunter safety systems right I end every show by saying wear your damn safety harness and I I truly mean that and I, I know that I've had a whole bunch of close calls over the years. I know when I was young and dumb, I, I didn't used to wear a, a tree harness. And I had a couple close calls where I didn't fall 10 feet, but I fell like five feet. And it was enough to scare a guy, right? So from, from that point on, I picked up a, a safety harness and I started using one on a religious basis. And every year you hear these stories about people who fall and then they become paralyzed or worse yet dead and it's almost selfish not to wear a safety harness especially if you're a family man right if you man or woman right if you have kids at home or a wife at home uh, and you go out and you don't hunt with a safety harness it's like you're rolling the dice 
right? So if you're going to be in a tree stand, man, you got to wear a safety harness and uh, Hunter Safety System has a variety of options to choose from, whether you like a vest, whether you like a straight up harness. Um, they have some specifically designed for uh, hanging tree stands, right? Preparing your tree stand setups uh, with big pockets and stuff. So um, if you don't have a trail or a, a safety harness yet, you need to go buy one and Hunter Safety Systems offer, offers a variety of really high quality um, uh, harnesses and uh, I think you need to take advantage of that so go to their website and check out their products and buy one it's that simple so we've done just about everything we need to do in this intro we're going to get right into today's podcast with my man Justin Czar uh, you don't really need an introduction so I'm just going to say Justin Czar how the hell are you uh, I was doing really good today, Dan, until you told me that Jussie Smollett was in Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and that just threw me into a tailspin from which I may not recover for the rest of my day. Oh, man. It's going to lead down that, that uh, Google rabbit hole. or uh, It's actually know. what I'm Googling right now. <laughs> You're not... like my, my search is loading right now. It's being really slow You're because already... the government's trying to suppress the information. But I am searching it. You're already checked out of this podcast. <laughs> it's just like one sentence in and it's done. It's all over. Everyone else is going to do the same thing now, though. Right. Because they're going to be like, what? Jesse Smollett was in Mighty Ducks? I'm not sure yeah. if it was. Uh, he was. I'm looking at it right here. He was in Mighty Ducks. Dude, I love that movie growing up. I know. What a great movie. The Didn't Flying V, it. The Knuckle Puck. Um, what, a, what a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to get into it. Uh, <laughs> but, Dude, imagine if you lived here in Illinois. I'm in the Chicagoland area. Yeah. So it's even bigger news here than it is in the rest of the, the country. Right. It's Sh- Chicago where is where he got uh, uh, pretend jumped, right? Correct. Okay, cool. At 2 in the morning. At 2 in the morning. By, by some dudes wearing mega hats. <laughs> Which I just, from day one, I was like, man, there's just not a lot of those guys running around Chicago at two in the morning. But right. hey, you, you never know. You never know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to talk today a little, a little bit about uh, scouting, uh, yes. some recent scouting trips you've been on. But, you know, we got to BS because I got some other things I want to ask you before, oh, man. before we hop into that. And okay. Because I, I, I know you have a different, um, I don't know, a different style of music than what I listen to. Because uh, I think you like the hard stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, you're in a lot of like Luke Bryan and Florida <laughs> Georgia Line, if I remember. You son of a bitch. <laughs> no, I do not. No, oh, oh. But, I am I am mistaken. But uh, yeah, you know, dude, I grew up, I was a bit of a, a metalhead kid. I'm into some, some harder music than is traditionally associated with the outdoors community. Sure, you yeah. could say that. Yeah. Well, I remember back in the day when, if it wasn't like this classic country being played on the, uh, the, the television shows, it was that, all right, everybody, we're here. Uh, we just pulled into the outfitter and uh, we're going to get after it today. And it was brah, brah, like, and then it was just like the music didn't reflect what was happening on the screen. And it just, you know, this sweet guitar solos and heavy metal music, like let's get sure. But, it, for the but it was like, it was all like stock. Yeah. Like stock. music. Yeah. 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 I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So the reason I asked this question is because someone every once a year, somebody brings it up and it was a handful of years ago. Uh, I don't even know what, what source printed this, but I said that I don't listen or I don't like the song Fred bear by uh, uh, Ted Nugent. The Nuge. Yeah. Sure. Like, cause everybody's like, when you ask, Hey, what do you like to listen to when you, you know, you're on your way to the tree stand. And everybody's like, oh, dude, I, I, li- I listen to Fred Bear, man. You know, that's the song. You know, that that represents the hunting industry. And I, I said, I don't like that song. And, oh, <laughs> and, oh man. You uh, someone are wrote clearly, an article about you it. You may be an anti-hunter at heart. Man. I, you just haven't discovered yourself yet. That's something to think You're about. Confused. An anti-hunter 
who hasn't found out he's an anti-hunter yet, but he's still a hunter. That's a great premise for a new web series we're going to launch on YouTube. Right. Where it's just a guy who falls out of love with hunting and then just picks up something like growing vegetables. Mm, golf. golf. I always felt like golf would be a suitable alternative to my hunting addiction. I don't know, man. It's probably I, just as expensive. Right. Right. But you are encouraged in many cases to drink while you are doing it because there's people that come deliver alcohol to you while you're doing it. Yes. Which is a far cry from hunting. Yeah. Uh, so I felt like it's got that going for it. Uh, people travel to warm places to golf as opposed to hunting where we go cold places and then freeze our asses off. Right. Um you have it's a pay to play, but so is hunting nowadays for the most part, right? You've got the public golf courses, which are generally not as good as the swanky private ones. High pressure. So yeah, so it's very similar in those two regards. <laughs> so I feel like it's an easy slide from hunting to sell all my hunting crap and start golfing. Go with my bros like during spring break to somewhere warm, right? Drink beer and golf. Kind of sounds like fun. So when when all the deer are dead of sea. WD and EHD yep. and or hunting has been outlawed. Uh, I'm thinking golf is my next thing. Or uh, I've always said building tiny ships inside of glass bottles would be something I would be interested in learning how to do as well. Hey, man, that takes some time and some patience. Yeah. But I mean, so does sitting in a tree waiting for a stupid deer to walk by you so you can shoot it. Right. 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 So maybe there's the solitude that I enjoy about hunting, I could find in tiny shipbuilding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with whatever you decide yeah. to do after. Well, for now, for now I'm sticking with killing animals. That's what I'm, but you know, just in case that ever comes to an end, you gotta yeah. have a, a plan backup. B Dan, a backup yeah. plan, backup plan. Well, um, I got to ask you this. Uh, I, do you ever have like really dumb com- like, uh, arguments with your wife? Isn't every argument with your wife kind of fall into that category for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I found what was it last, last week. I, I don't know if it was the kids were probably the kids are the source of all my problems pretty much. In my <laughs> life. You know, I love them, but like, man, when they're all, all three of them are functioning high on all cylinders, uh, our house gets stressful. And I like me when that happens, then my wife and our fuse fuses get really short and not only with the kids, but with, e- with each other. And sure. I, I just remember like placing a glass of water in a different place. Like, so I, so what I did was I moved a glass of water and, uh, so my, my youngest son didn't knock it over. And my wife was like, uh, Hey, where's my glass of water? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where your glass of water is. And it was, it was, how the li- hell would I know? Yeah. How the hell would I know? It was, it was literally six inches from where uh, I moved it, but I don't like, I was so stressed out. I don't remember moving it. And then we had an argument about a glass of water. Yeah. That's how it happens, buddy. Yeah. That's how it all happens. Kids is the next level of stress. Yeah. See, my wife and I are very different people. She's got the very short fuse. And I think probably it's because she's with the kids all day long. Yeah. Like trapped in that hell. Uh, <laughs> so like, Yesterday morning, uh, I needed to, to do the weekend Costco run. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to take the kids with. And she looked at me and she's like, you're going to do what? I was like, I'll just take them all. I don't, I don't care. Like, I, I'm fearless. Let's go. Everybody in the car, get your shoes on. Let's go. And my wife looked at me like I was out of my mind bringing three kids to Costco on a Sunday by myself. Did, but she, I was like, did Whatever. she stop you? Did she try to no, stop you? No, no. Hell, hell no. Yeah. I, was, I was partially doing it because – I understand that I'm a selfish human being and there's a lot of times when I just decide like, Hey, I'm going to Iowa this weekend to go scouting for deer. See you later. Uh, so when I am home, I try to make up for it a little bit. So I packed them all in. We went to Costco, went to home Depot. Then we went to red Robin and ate lunch and then came home and did all of that with little to no problems. My wife was amazed, but I always tell my wife that the kids feed off of your behavior and your emotion. If you can manage to like keep your cool a little bit more, uh, things are a little bit more stable. My wife is incapable of keeping her cool. The minute <laughs> a child like looks in the wrong direction or 
strays too far from the shopping cart in the store or whatever she is like her fuse is not even short it's just non-existent <laughs> and i feel like that just feeds into their insanity right you gotta maintain your cool and then everything's good man so as most of the people on this podcast or follow me on social and you know um i recently lost my full-time job right right and so now we've pulled the kids out of daycare and we are officially co-parenting <laughs> throughout the entire day, right? Except mm. Tuesdays and Thursdays where my daughter still at this time is still going to kindergarten. And on Mondays and Wednesdays, my son goes to preschool for half the day, right? But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, my, I get both youngest boys at home the entire day, right? So I get no work done. And, <laughs> and, uh, so like, and then after that, you know, my daughter comes home after, after school. So then I have all three of them and I never used to think, you know, my wife would call me. She's like, I'm totally stressed out. I'm just like, come on, how bad can it be having the kids there? You know, like what's, what's wrong? Like you're overreacting. Well, now that I've had a taste of that medicine, so to speak, I completely get where she's going you know, we're because, you know, once I was getting like once a week, twice a week, these phone calls like I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> and uh, and now uh, I'm just like, holy shit, Th this is absolute craziness, absolute chaos every moment, you know. Yes. And unless you have them controlled, you know, in their and in restraints, there is no controlling it. Na so Dude, just have them take naps until they're 10. Yeah, well. that's the three hour naps every day until you're 10 and you're old enough to cut the lawn and and do things with your parents. Yeah, that's our philosophy. Absolutely. I, man, I, don't you wish you could take naps throughout the day sometimes? Oh, dude, I, I'll be honest with you. I snuck in about a 45 minute nap yesterday oh. afternoon and it was amazing. My two littlest ones were sleeping and my oldest one was watching YouTube videos and I kind of just passed out on the couch and I woke up. and I was like, what the hell happened? Nice. Holy shit. I slept for 45 minutes. It was amazing. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I built a tree house yesterday. Well, started oh, it. Sweet. Yeah. Well, that sounds like fun. I picked up dog crap in my backyard as well. So we both did yesterday. something productive. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the most productive thing I did other than going to Costco yesterday. Yeah. Cool, man. So sounds like you got a big year coming up, man, for uh, especially this fall. You're, you're yes. drawing Iowa. Yeah, well, uh, but even before that, like Todd actually pulled me aside one day, Todd Graff, and he was like, hey, like, you're going a little crazy this fall, so just do me a favor, try not to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I've already prepared my wife for this. A lot of this stuff isn't quite as bad as everybody wants to make it out to be, but uh, essentially I'm going to start my season uh, September 1st in Kentucky. And okay. we're going to hunt. I'm going to hunt there for about four days and then we come home and then Wisconsin season opens like uh, in the middle of September. I forget the exact day this year, what it is. Uh, but I plan on hunting Wisconsin for those first couple weekends prior to Illinois opening in October. Now, fortunately, the Wisconsin hunts, I'm only from my house to one of the pieces of public that I hunt in Wisconsin. It's like maybe 40 minute drive. Right. So it's relatively close. We're not talking overnight trips or anything along those lines. Uh, so we got Wisconsin for a couple weekends, and then Illinois opens. Oh, that was unprofessional. <laughs> I have I have well, my phone I, off of, and uh... I expect a very high level of professionalism <laughs> on this podcast. Damn it, Dan! And the best part is, it's I'm so unprofessional that right now I'm shutting my phone off, and uh, I'm going to throw it over there. So I don't bo am bothered by it. And I will continue this podcast now without editing that out. All right, good. So Octo <laughs> October comes, and that's Illinois opens. Right. Uh, so my plan is to hunt early season Illinois, mostly local to home. Maybe take my son out on a couple trips to our lease uh, and try to kill a doe. And then basically from the last week of October through the middle of November, I'm going to pretty much just focus on Iowa and I'm going to abandon all of my Illinois spots pretty much during the rut. And then, then the big one comes, I actually go to Wyoming from like November 16th, I think to the 20th. 
Uh, and that's kind of my last hurrah uh, for the year, because once I get home from that, if my wife hasn't smothered me in my sleep by that point, uh, then it'll be pretty much just local hunting in Illinois from there on through the rest of the year. So I got a, a solid two months of like, a, I think I got like five states if I count right. I think wow. Kentucky, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Wyoming. Yeah, five states. So it's going to be a hell of a, a hell of a fall. Well, typically you go to Kansas, so that's out of the picture this year. Well, I only I did Kansas once, like two years ago, and it sucked horribly. Uh, even even though it was just kind of bad timing and bad weather, and we didn't really know what we were doing. So I, Kansas didn't suck. We just sucked. My, yeah. Me and my buddy Matt when we went. But last year I only did Illinois, and Wisconsin. That was that was well. I went to Wyoming last year, but that was like in August. So I don't even consider it a part of the hunting season because I hunted in Wyoming and then I came home and then all of September really didn't do much until October started. So when they're that spaced out, I don't even consider that part of the hunting season. (laughs) At least that's how I justify it to my wife. Like, well, that was in August and now we're in October. Two totally different things. Right. All right. So what are you doing in Wyoming? Uh, We're actually going to go whitetail hunting. During the, during the rut out there. Yeah. I talked to Dustin. Uh, he told me that it's crazy out there just because the numbers alone. Yes. Well, that's the thing. We went out last year antelope hunting and I mean, uh, this is no joke. I mean, you're sitting in a blind and I was hunting, uh, uh, hay fields and you could look out at any point in time during the day and just see deer in every possible direction they never leave the hay fields there's just a tremendous amount of whitetails out there and they're kind of concentrated because food sources are limited it's either a come you know eat in these hay fields or b go starve to death on the tundra you know so all of the deer are in these river bottoms and these hay fields so they're very concentrated in there and yeah dustin had an amazing bunch of hunts last year so we decided we wanted to to go to wyoming to shoot a whitetail and i just didn't want to do the early September in a ground blind on a hay field type thing. Like we want to get in tree stands, rattle, put out uh, decoys and do that whole thing and see what sort of footage we can drum up out of that trip. So it's going to be me, uh, Todd Graff, uh, our buddy Scott Bakken from HHA Sports is coming. And then another one of our friends, Jerry, uh, who works at Pine Ridge Archery, he's going to come out with us. So it's going to be the four of us meet Dustin out there and go try to slam a few whitetails before Thanksgiving. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Cool. So that's like that's like the easiest hunt because that's like a show up and just go hunt type thing. Right. The rest the rest of these are uh go drive, you know, to wherever the hell middle of nowhere and go try to find an animal to kill on public land. Yeah. So the other the other adventures are gonna be a little, little bit more intense than the Wyoming one. Right. So Kentucky and Iowa are gonna yes. be your public lands. All right. Well so. and Wisconsin too. Wisconsin too. But that one I take probably a little bit less seriously because if i just shoot a doe or something up there i'll be happy so kentucky and iowa are the actual like travel stay overnight try to kill a deer type of trips right and you're you're gonna try try that first week in september for in kentucky right just is that just a one week trip yep that's just a one like a four day trip is all we're going to do down there uh we went down my buddy matt and i who is the same guy that went to uh, Kansas with me. Him and I went down there two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, and we spent two days walking some public ground down there. And I don't know, man. I mean, we we saw a deer sign. We picked up some sheds. You know, uh, the one thing that I will say is the particular area that we walked was I think it was like 5,600 acres. This management area that we walked, and it is legitimately managed for wildlife in that they plant crops. They leave standing crops. They plant cover crops that they use for the wildlife. They actually plant food plots. Like we found a legitimate turnip food plot that was planted just for deer on the public land, which as a guy from Illinois, that's like mind boggling, (laughs) you know, how nicely taken care of everything was. Uh, saw a ton of deer, ran into a couple guys from Louisiana who were up doing the same thing we were doing. They were scouting. Uh, so we exchange phone numbers with them. They're going to be coming back, I think, uh, the same time that we are in September. So we said, Hey, you know, let's, let's communicate while we're all here. That way, if anybody shoots anything or needs help or whatever, you know, we all have each other's information and they were super cool dudes. 
it's funny. They came walking up out of this field. We were sitting at the truck, just getting a drink of water. They came walking up out of this field, had a couple shed antlers, and within 30 seconds of talking to the one guy, he stops and he looks at me and he goes, I know you. I just, <laughs> I, he goes, I just listened to a podcast with you the other day. He was probably listening to your podcast would be my guess. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask him which one, but it's not like I'm on a ton of them. It was either you or working class bow on or one of the two. It's like, I was just listening to a podcast with you on it the other day. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, shit, I need to put on like a fake mustache and sunglasses <laughs> when I'm out here. Well, but no, Justin's ours hunting that property, then it's gotta be good. <sighs> yeah. Right. I don't know any better than anybody else. So uh, we literally just drove to Kentucky. We're like, this one looks good. Let's go here. Yeah. And that was it. Is it because it's close? Uh, yeah, partially. We wanted to stick to the western side of Kentucky. Yeah, partially because it is closer. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of management areas over there we found out are like a limited quota or a draw only from mid-October on. Uh, and some of them are bow hunting only. So those, that was kind of attractive to us. But if you were to go the first month and a half, like September 1st through the middle of October, there is no quota. You just buy a license and anybody can go. But once the real traffic starts to pick up, right, when everybody wants to come hunt that late October and November time, they turn it into a, uh, a special draw unit. Right. Because I think they were just getting too many idiots like us from out of state coming coming down there. So in order to ease the pressure a little bit, they put a couple of these areas in the, in the quota only. Uh, and since they're bow only, they just, you know, the, again, that just seemed like an attractive option for us. So I will say that the difference in scouting Kentucky versus what I was just doing in Iowa is a lot different just because of the time of year that I'm planning on hunting. You know, being that first week in September, like we're, we're primarily just focused on food sources, early season, green food sources. Where's that green going to be? Where can we try to get away from people if there's any people in here and maybe try to find a bachelor group of bucks or something to get on? So we're primarily scouting food sources where my Iowa trip was mostly bedding areas and travel corridors and not so much food. Gotcha. So just a different type of scouting because it was just different times of the year when I'm planning on being there. Gotcha. All right. So I want to start with Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, so first off, what did you do? to identify this specific location? Was it specifically like a Google Maps type of thing, or did you hear from other people who have hunted Kentucky that this is where you want to go? Uh, it was pretty much just a Google Maps, Kentucky you know, DNR website, figuring out where the public land is, how big it is, how far away from home it is. You know, For us, it was a was a big thing, only having a limited amount of time to get down there and hunt. We didn't, we didn't want to have to drive any further than we needed to. Um, and then as fate would have it, uh, a guy messaged me on Facebook a couple of weeks ago and he said, Hey, when are you guys going to come down to Kentucky and hunt public ground? And, uh, well, sometimes I respond to people's Facebook messages. Sometimes I don't. And in this case I was like, Hey, actually we're planning on coming down there in a couple of weeks to scout, you know? And he's like, Oh, where, where are you guys thinking about going? And I told him and turns out that he only lived like an hour away and uh, so he offered to come meet us over uh, at this place because he had shed hunted it before and actually had hunted it. So uh, this guy by the name of Cody came and met us over there. And uh, thankfully, he didn't kill us and turn our heads into ashtrays like people are always <laughs> worried about, like some random Internet dudes like, yeah, I'll meet you over in the middle of the woods in Kentucky somewhere. I'm like, this is where we die, Matt. Like, it was good knowing you. <laughs> but no, Cody was freaking awesome, dude. He was a, a legit super nice down to earth, like took us around, showed us everything that he knew areas that he had walked where he'd found sheds before. And, uh, dude, he hung out with us for two days down there. We walked, I don't know how many miles we walked and he came right along with us and picked up some sheds and it was, it was super cool. Um, you know, very thankful to him for being, for doing that with us. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of, like I said, just a combination of how far away is it? How big is it? What does the terrain look like? Uh, and then, like I said, we started looking up like, okay, this is a special draw area. It's bow only, but we can get in there during early season. Did a lot of, you know, just kind of Google searching and talking to a few people who said like, there's not a lot of pressure down here in September because it's so damn hot still. Like people just aren't really hunting much. Yeah. And, and again, most of the, the guys coming from out of state want to come do those rut hunts. So if you can get there prior to a rut hunt, you know, there might not be as many pressure. And I think we all know that 
deer are a little bit more patternable early in the season. Yep. Uh, so we wanted to look for a place with a decent amount of agriculture on it. And we certainly found, I mean, there was standing beans and standing corn all over this place where we walked. Uh, and we talked to to Cody and we're like, is this normal? Like, were these fields flooded? Why didn't they get picked? And he's like, no, they leave food every year. I was like, holy shit. They definitely don't do that in Illinois or any of the Wisconsin spots I've ever been on. So yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty cool. So we found a couple areas, you know, fortunately Cody's going to, go down during the summer and maybe glass some fields, maybe even run a couple of trail cameras for us, kind of act as our quasi guide before we get back down there. So hopefully we've got a little bit of a head start going into it. And maybe one of the two of us can try to get a shot at something. So yeah. I guess we'll see what happens. So you've mentioned the terrain in Kentucky just a little bit, but when you got out of the truck and said, let's start scouting, break that down for us. What were you looking for? Uh, as far as and because you mentioned that two different hunts one in iowa during the rut one in uh kentucky during the early part of the season you know obviously september 1st what were you looking for in kentucky as far as terrain features bedding all that stuff yeah well we were mostly concerned like i said with food but then our you know from there i was like okay we found a field right but where the hell do you hunt on this field and if it's not going to be the field edge where can we get back off of this field a little bit where we think we're going to have an opportunity to, to shoot a deer. So from there, we start looking at bedding areas. Um, and I think a lot of people have talked about this at kind of ad nauseum at this point, but I mean, deer definitely do prefer to bed higher than they do to bed lower, at least in my experience. And I know a lot of others have seen the same thing. So we're kind of looking for like, okay, where are the, the hills that we think the deer are going to be bedding on? where they're going to be feeding, you know, early season, we're anticipating probably some south southerly winds. Uh, so we are trying to just locate, okay, if we think they're bedding here and that's the food source there, you know, and we're going to have hopefully some south winds, like, is this an area that we can even consider hunting under those conditions? And if it's not, we move on to the next and to the next and to the next to try to find these areas. Uh, there was a ton of water, a lot of ponds on this place. It looked like they were man-made. Uh, so we didn't really focus on water too much be- just because there was so much of it all over the place. Uh, the other thing that we focused on, because it, it is pretty hilly terrain on that western side of Kentucky, nothing like what I just encountered in Iowa, but, I mean, pretty pretty hilly. Uh, so we tried to focus on, I guess it would be the western edges of the fields that we believe are going to be shaded first. Uh, again, in my experience during those early season hunts, when it's really warm, the deer tend to come out in the shady areas of the fields first. Uh, so they're not getting just absolutely hammered by the sun. So again, we looked for a combination of things like, okay, this is a cornfield. Now it appears that they rotate beans, corn every year down there. So we were again, assuming that, okay, this is probably going to be a bean field. Deer are going to be bedding over there. This is what the wind's probably going to be doing. And then we tried to identify a couple areas that we were interested in confirming all of those suspicions once we get back down there in the last couple of days of August before the season starts. Gotcha. So basically, it sounds like you were running different scenarios in your head saying, if this is the case, then the deer should be doing this. Sure. Did you find any type of sign like old old scrapes or rubs or like oh, yeah. heavily used trails that backed up those uh, suspicions? We did, but I've always said the one thing that I am leery about when I'm scouting this time of year is the sign is so heavily concentrated around late season food sources that it can be misleading. So when that snow melts and the, and the ground starts to thaw out, like in this case, right, in, in this particular property in, in particular, you know, there was standing corn and standing beans all over the place. So as you can imagine, like those spots were just absolutely hammered with sign, um, you know, trails and yeah, there's going to be rubs and, and scrapes and stuff, but the concentration around those food sources, which the deer probably started using, I don't know, let's say in late November, probably is when they really started hitting those. It can be deceiving and people can think like, oh man, this is, this is the spot I want to be. Uh, and then you come back the next year and maybe the food has shifted or it's early season now and uh, the deer aren't as concentrated in those food sources as they were when all that previous sign was left. So, 
I'm always a little bit leery about trails and tracks. I'm looking more for um, scrapes and rubs. But again, like in this case, when we get down there, like it's possible you could still shoot a velvet buck. Yeah. You know, there's a few probably still hanging on into those first couple of days of September. Uh, they're bachelored up at that point. So in my opinion, it's just about finding like what's the hot food source that they're on. Um, there hasn't really been any pressure hopefully by that point. So hopefully they're still coming out in daylight to those fields. If we find that they're not, then we may have to back off the field a little bit and try to get them before they get into the field. But man, that can be tough early season, especially with the the thick canopy getting in there and being able to get a shot at something before daylight runs out. So we're, we're kind of banking on, on food sources. I will say that we found a couple really cool kind of like food plots, I guess, almost like little I don't know if they were rye or oats or, or hay or what they had planted, but there's these little fields that are just in the middle of these giant stands of timber. And they're, they're, some of them are 50 yards wide by 100 yards long, and they're all green planted you know, grasses in there. So we looked at a couple of those. And we're like, man, this would be a killer little spot for a buck to come out and feel comfortable feeding in during daylight. It's not a giant open field that can be seen from a long ways off. So... I don't know. We're just going to, we're going to go back. I think their season starts on a Sunday. We're going to go down on uh, Saturday. We're going to split up and we're going to each glass three different areas, myself, Matt and Cody the night before the season starts. Hopefully we can locate some deer coming out into some of these fields and then try to get set up on one of them. That's kind of the plan. Yep. Now, you know, you look at a piece of property and say, you go and find all these really kick-ass spots like that rye field or whatever you were talking about. We all know that other people hunt this property. So other than, you know, a handful, right, did you also go in and have this conversation with yourselves about we need to find backup plans too, right? Sure. Like go to point, you know, like plan A, B, C, D, and so on down the line? Yeah, we definitely did that. Um, fortunately, we walked enough spots in those couple of days we were there. I think we found enough areas where if we run into people, we'll be able to get away from them. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not anticipating running into a lot of people that time of year. Uh, and if we do, I mean, I've got enough pins dropped in my Onyx maps where I'll be able to just go to plan B, C, D, E, and F down the line. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. It's going to be, you know, opening days on a Sunday that Monday is, uh, labor day. So I don't know how many people are going to be hunting on labor day. I know my wife's pissed that I'm not going to be there. Because uh, normally we go to Michigan or do something on that weekend with the kids. So I'm kind of hoping that there's a lot of people getting that last summer vacation in instead of hunting. And then we're going to hunt uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, which in my experience from the limited amount of public hunting that I've done the last couple of years, if you go during the weekday, it's an entirely different world than it is on the weekend. Yeah. Um, so I got to imagine that there's not going to be much, if any, pressure uh, and it's 5,600 acres. If I can't find somewhere to go and get away from people, then, then I just suck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the, with it being an early season hunt, right? Um, we, we know that deer tend not to move in, in hot weather. Um, so are you prepared to like dive in deep, trying to get close to where they bed? Um, if it's hot out and let's say there's not a, a front that, uh, coincides with your trip, you know, because that time of year deer are still pretty nocturnal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Are they, I mean, we're talking late August, first week of September. I feel like they, they move quite a bit out to, to feed, even if it is warm out. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah. I mean, if we need to, if we're not seeing anything and we need to go in deep to a few places, we're going to do that. I mean, we've only got four days to hunt, so we're planning on hunting mornings as well. Uh, but what we've done is we've kind of picked our sections like way back in the timber type of thing uh for the morning hunts that's way far away from anything that we plan on hunting in the evenings so if we if we muck it up we don't really care too much but we figured screw it what are we going to do we're here for four days we may as well hunt even if it's only for the first two hours of light on those mornings because what else we can do sleep like we may as well just go and i mean we're not we're not coming back the rest of the year. So we bump a deer somewhere like, sorry, everyone else. We really don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you gotta be aggressive at that point. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We got four days to try to kill a deer. So 
do what you got to do. But yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're prepared. We've, we've picked a few areas that I felt like were decent betting areas pretty far from food sources. So that would be, that would be my plan is to get into one of those spots, you know, on a morning and see what happens. So other than that rye field, did you locate any places that you're pretty fired up to hunt? Well, if everything holds true and some of these corn fields turn into what I believe are going to be bean fields. Yeah. We found a couple, couple spots, you know, the trick is like, one of them's a freaking huge field. I don't know how many acres it is, but it's huge and it's a bunch of rolling hills and some ponds on the other side. The trick is going to be, you know, trying to figure out where these deer are coming into those fields. Like what part of the field are they actually using? Just seeing them is, is one thing, but actually trying to get close enough to kill one with a bow is a whole nother story, you know, and, and we all know these deer love to come in those fields and then go out to 50, 60, 80 yards and feed out there. So they're not standing right next to the edge of the woods. So you kind of got to be, somewhat close to where they're going to be coming out so uh that's where some of the glassing of those fields i think is gonna is gonna help the deer in my experience are pretty predictable that time of year they tend to do the same things kind of over and over for those at least maybe those first couple days of the season before they realize that hey there's a bunch of dudes trying to kill me uh, i need to stop doing this right so we're hoping to capitalize on that but yeah just crossing our fingers between the three of us between some of cody's scouting before season we can manage to see something and then move in on it within the first couple of days. That's gotcha. really the plan. All right. Now, uh, realistically, what is your, what are your goals between, let's say between three people that are going there? You thinking, are you, or is your goal for everybody to kill? Or do you think, you know, Hey, you know, maybe two of us or one of us will, or what are, and what are you looking for personally? Uh, I, well, I mean, I think the goal is always that we all kill deer, but I think the reality is if even one of us killed a deer in that time frame, I think we would all be pretty happy with that. I mean, let's face it. We're going into a spot that I've, yeah, I walked it for a day and a half, six months before I hunted it, you know? So we're really getting into uncharted territory. And if we get lucky, awesome. Uh, to be honest with you, my goal is just to go have fun. I mean, if we can manage to to see some good deer and put ourselves like in the, in the hunt where we're like, okay, there's a deer that we want to shoot. Let's move in on them or let's do something here. I think I would be happy with that. If somebody kills a deer, I would be elated, but I mean, expectations are not super high for this. It's more or less, let's go do something new. Let's do something early season when it's warm and before all of our other seasons have opened and you only live once, right? We may as well go, go do this now while we can. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's awesome. Uh, are you thinking like a two-year-old, three-year-old? I mean, I'd like to say a three-year-old. I mean, you never know <laughs> if a nice two-year-old comes out. I don't know. I might shoot it. Yeah. Depends on how I'm feeling that day. If, I mean, if, if he walks out and I feel like, hell yeah, this is something I want to shoot, then I'm going to shoot it. You know, I say three-year-old and up, but it's not a hard line by any stretch of the imagination. I would say, I think we picked up, I think we picked up eight sheds between us in the little bit of walking we did. And I think half of them were off of like what I would say are probably hundred inch two year old deer, like hundred inch eight pointers that I got to imagine are going to be 120 inch, maybe three pointers, 120 to 130 inch three year olds. I mean, yeah. so, uh, I'd be super happy with that deer. Right. Obviously if I can get something bigger, great. Uh, but if not, I think the reality is we got four days and we came here to kill, not just look at them. So right. you never know. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I think about, too, is if I go in, you know, it's not like I, you can do a ton of scouting or you have any historical data on this piece of property. Right. So if I was in your shoes, I go into this spot and it's it's going to be run and gun. It's going to be a complete run and gun type hunt. I would have, I would be thrilled if I could go in, especially in a morning hunt, pitch black dark, set up, and have an encounter with a respectable deer. Let's just say a hundred and twenty inch two year old, or a hundred, you know, a hundred inch two year old, whatever. There's sure. a good chance I would kill that animal just from the strategy portion alone. Well, yeah, absolutely. You got to have different standards depending on what you're doing. Like you said, if you drive your ass to another state and walk in in the dark and hang a tree stand and manage to get close enough to a deer in September to kill it. Like that's an accomplishment in and of itself. doesn't matter if it's a two year old buck or a five year old deer. Like that's a hard thing to do. 
So, yeah, I mean, we just have to plan our limitations accordingly. Yep, absolutely. Now, you know, this is where dreams this is where dreams are made of, right? You're hunting Iowa, right? There yep. is a Boone and Crockett deer that's 170 inches in every, I'm going to say every farm, maybe multiple uh, booners oh, in every farm. So you should at least kill one of them. I've only got one. I'll only have one tag, so well, I'm only allowed legally. But, but what, I, what uh, I'm saying is you, yeah, there, it's 100% guaranteed. Everywhere. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Or my money back, I think. Yes, Iowa something DNR like is that. Listening. Yep, something like that. <clears throat> All right, so <laughs> Iowa, right? Yes. Now, that's a that's a, a rut hunt. Talk to me yep. a little bit about uh, the Iowa piece that you scouted and uh, what, what part of the state, eastern part of the state? Yeah, so I've got three preference points that I've been sitting on for years. Um, so I looked at all the draw results from the last couple of years. And if I want to get into those southern zones, I think it's five and six. I got probably a 50-50 shot right. of drawing with three points. Uh, in the northern zones, I'm all but guaranteed. I think everybody with three points drew last year. Uh, and I think they're increasing tag allocation a little bit this year for that northeastern part of the state. So I'm planning on hunting zone nine, I believe is what it is, Gotcha. Uh, which basically borders Wisconsin and Minnesota. So it's northeastern Iowa. And there was a couple different reasons that I decided to do that. Number one, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to draw a tag there this year with only three points. Uh, number two, it is, again, closer of a drive. Not necessarily like if I left my house to drive from my home to um, southeastern Iowa is about the same as going from my home to northeastern Iowa. It's about three and a half to four hours. Uh, but what it is significantly closer to is my lease in Illinois, which is in northwestern Illinois. Uh, and I got a buddy that owns uh, some property out there that I could stay at. It's only about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes from my lease in Illinois to get up to this uh, public that I'm going to hunt in Iowa. So my thought process there was that it makes life a little bit easier if I want to either bounce back and forth between the two or if I want to do like a Sunday morning hunt, let's say in Iowa, let's say I don't shoot anything, I want to do that hour drive back to Illinois, hunt my lease maybe in Illinois or hunt with one of my buddies in Illinois and then only have an hour and a half to two hour drive home at the end of the night. It makes things a lot easier. So that was part of my, my reasoning. So I decided Northeast Iowa was where I was going to go. Uh, so I actually went this past weekend. Same thing. I, I looked at all the freaking public that I could possibly look at on Topo Maps and uh, Google Earth and Onyx and everything else to try to get a feel for where I wanted to go. Uh, I settled on one that was about, I think it's about 2,000 acres in total and uh, decided that I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket because I mean, on that much land, there's got to be a buck somewhere that I would be happy shooting, uh, with my Iowa tag. It might not be a booner, but I'm sure there's a nice <laughs> one. I'm sure there's a nice one in there somewhere that I would be happy to wrap my tag around. So I decided this is it. I dropped a bunch of pins, uh, on a, on my Onyx maps, just based on topography alone. And then I went out there and visited, the majority of those pins to try to confirm or deny my suspicions that these were good areas to hunt. All right. So how good are you of looking at a topographic map, dropping a pin, going to investigate it? And, you know, what was your percentage of success saying, okay, well, Hey, this is actually a good spot. Uh, I'd say about 50, 50, 50, 50. Uh, yeah. And the reason for that is, uh, I, so I'm, I'm looking at late October into November. So I'm looking for late October hunts. I'm trying to look for buck bedding, uh, because I don't think they're cruising a ton at that point in time. And, and I know this is like a hot topic of like buck bedding areas and getting close to them, but realistically end of October, again, they're not traveling super far at that point. So I'm looking for, you know, there's a ton of topography in Northeast Iowa. I don't know if you've been up there, but oh, yeah. holy shit. It's <laughs> I was, it is like massive bluff country. I knew what I was getting into, but I never walked any of that stuff before. I mean, there's legitimately stuff that's so steep you can't walk up or down it um, in that area. So I'm looking for, you know, points uh, or I'm looking for saddles and ridges 
for kind of travel corridors and whatnot. So all the topography looked like what I thought it was going to look like when I got out there. But the biggest difference, uh, the biggest thing that contributed to some of the areas not being as good as I thought they were going to be was there's a lot of really open timber. So I got up onto some of these points or some of these benches where I thought, oh, there's got to be a buck living up here. And I got up there and it was just open timber where you could see for hundreds of yards in every direction. There was no thick bedding cover. I have a feeling had there been bedding cover there, there probably would have been deer bedding in it. But because the cover wasn't there, the topography was right, but the cover wasn't. Um, so I kind of just checked a few of those spots like, OK, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Um, but a few of the areas that I were hoping were going to be good turned out to be freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, just like I thought they were going to be. The hard part is going to be getting in. And then if I shoot a deer, getting it out again, <laughs> because uh, one of the spots is like a little over two miles from the parking area. And that's a hell of a hike with 50 pounds of gear on your back. Yeah. And then a hell, hell of a drag out if you do shoot something. But at that point, I figure if I shoot something that far in, it's going to be damn well worth the drag out. So it might take me a day, but I won't care at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I know where you're going, or I know the area of the state. Um, my, oh, my uh, family has been going up to, there's some uh, national, or not national, but like state parks up there that I used to go to all the time when we were a kid. And uh, it's uh, one of the best counties to hunt in in the entire state of Iowa. Yeah, I mean, I saw a ton of deer sign. I saw a lot of scrapes. Uh, rubs were a little bit further and fewer between, which I'm not overly concerned about. Um, I've hunted plenty of areas before that just weren't torn up, like shredded with buck sign, and there was plenty of bucks on them. Yeah. You know, my lease here in Illinois is a prime example. I had, I don't know, I'd say half dozen deer out there that I would shoot last year. And granted, it's only a little over 100 acres, but there's only one little piece of that farm that's shredded with buck sign. Uh, the rest of it, I mean, there's rubs here and rubs there. Um, so I don't always take rubs per se as like the gospel of whether or not there's bucks in the area or not. Um, but I will say I found a couple areas that were highly concentrated areas of rubs in, in spots where I believe bucks were bedding. The one thing that I found to be kind of consistent, uh, and I walked maybe, I think I walked 10 miles on Saturday in total. Uh, the one thing I found consistent is Wherever I did find a good thicket that butted up to some of that open timber, that thicket was just trashed with rubs. Um, kind of like an inside um, edge, if you will, inside of the timber. So you've got you know real thick timber, let's say to your right, and real uh, open timber to your left. It seems like the, the, the line in between the thick and the open timber usually had a lot of good buck sign on it yeah um you just described where i shot my buck this year there you go yeah so that's awesome man so you know are you excited to hunt iowa this year you know i am i i don't know if i should be more or less excited i think i'll get more excited as the season gets closer i was very excited to go scout but my time is just kind of limited at this point. So I'm not going to be able to get back there at all really before the season starts. So I had a lot of excitement as I was driving out. I'm like, Holy crap, here I go. I got a big plans. I'm going to walk all this stuff. And now that that's over, it's like, okay, great. I got to wait like six months before I can go back, go back <laughs> right. or seven, seven months now. So yeah, I think I'll be super pumped. My plan as of right now. Uh, and this is another point that I'll, I'll bring up about kind of post season scouting is you go into these areas, right? And yeah, I found a couple areas that had massive concentrations of, of big rubs, but I have no idea if that deer's still alive. That deer could have been killed. He could have died, you know, last year over the winter or whatever the case may be. So I'm not going back into those areas just being like, there was a bunch of rubs here last year. This is where I'm going to hunt. So my plan as of right now is to wait till probably mid-October and I'll probably sacrifice a couple of, of my morning hunts in October where I don't really care anyways uh and i'll probably go out there and do like some midday scouting walk into a few of those areas and see if there's any buck sign starting to pop up that way if there is i can say okay you know suspicion confirmed i'm gonna come back here and hunt uh or if there's not if they're just dead i'm not gonna waste my time 
yeah. on it. So my plan is to do that during a couple kind of middays in October, and then I'll probably just fly back to Illinois and hunt evenings in Illinois. Uh, my my thought process there is I'll get to go do a little bit of like cushy hunting where I get to go sit on one of my little clover food plots in a tree stand that I hung in August uh, that's only 500 yards from the truck. And I'm going to enjoy that while I can because uh, the week leading into Halloween through up until I leave to go to Wyoming is pretty much going to be dedicated all to Iowa, which means a lot of hiking around with a lot of gear on my back and hanging stands and pulling stands and running and gunning. So I'm going to enjoy a little bit of cushy hunting in early October while I can. Yeah. So typically, and this is just my experience with uh, public land here in Iowa, there's only 2% of it, right? I think it's less than 2% of the state is public ground. That 2,000 acres that you are looking at, you said you're putting all your eggs into that basket. Do you feel that for the amount of time that you're dedicating, because it sounds like you're going to be there for just under three weeks, I'm not going to be there consistently for that three weeks. I wish I was. I'm going to be there for maybe a total of 10 days, I would say, something like that. I'm going to try to do four or five days leading into Halloween. Um, and then I'm going to be there probably for just a couple three-day weekends after that. Gotcha. So are you dedicating in like a straight seven days to that? Nope. 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 Okay. I think maybe f- – I think – I think my son's birthday is that Saturday before Halloween, so I got to be home for his birthday party. So I'm going to hunt that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think Halloween's Thursday. I come home, and then I'll probably go back Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I mean, I've got like close close to that. Yeah, probably. Gotcha. Okay. Six days. Six days total. Yeah, I mean six or seven days over like a nine day span gotcha. with a couple trips back home in the in the middle. Gotcha. Okay. So from a, from a budget standpoint, when you, when you're going to Kentucky and you're going to Iowa, um, are you guys camping? Are you staying in a hotel? What are you doing? Uh, usually we're, it depends. I mean, Kentucky, we found some nice little kind of cabins, not too far away that we can rent that were relatively cheap. And there's two of us. So we split that cost. It's not too expensive. Last year we camped in Wisconsin when we went up there and did public, uh, early in the year. And that was fun. It was warm. It was nice. Um, for Iowa, I will probably tr- grab a hotel somewhere or, uh, do an Airbnb. I found a few Airbnbs because being relatively close to the Mississippi river, uh, it seems like there's a lot of Airbnbs out in that area of people like renting little cabins and stuff like along the, along the river. Yep. So I've already looked into that and it's not super expensive. Um, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be doing that a few times. My buddies, hopefully one of my friends, I got two or three other people that are going to apply for Iowa tags this year. Most of them are sitting on two points. So not all of them are going to draw for this area, but I figure one or two of them will most likely draw, uh, in which case we'll hunt together as much as we can and then split cost on, you know, hotels or Airbnbs or whatever we end up doing. Nice. That's awesome, man. Well, good luck. Um, Let's see. Should be interesting to yeah. say the least. And my, my plan there is a couple of the areas that I found that I really liked are only, I'm going to say a half mile to a mile from a parking area. Yeah. Now it's so damn hilly out there that most, I think every parking area I went to out there is at the bottom of a hill and you got to walk up to get almost anywhere you want to go. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it weeds a few people out. I found three total tree stands in the 10 miles that I walked out there. Um, didn't see much sign of other hunters to be frank with you. So I'm hoping I don't see a lot of, uh, other hunters. And again, I think that being there late October during the week, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before Halloween, I don't think I'm going to see a lot of pressure. I know what it's like here in Illinois during the week. And like I said, it's a totally different ball game when you're there during the week versus on a weekend. I've been to places in Illinois here where on a Friday night, I've got the entire place to myself. There's not another truck anywhere. And then come Saturday morning, there's eight or 10 trucks out there. Yeah. So my, my, I'm really kind of putting my eggs in that late October basket of those couple days leading into Halloween. That's some of my favorite time to hunt traditionally. Uh, and being during the week, I really, really think I'm going to have an opportunity if I'm smart about what I'm doing. Right. Is this Iowa property a all timber? The reason I ask is because 
typically if you can farm it, it's farmed or sure. Ag yeah. Or there, there's some ag on it. There's some fields that are not farmed. I don't think they're just like grass fields and not really CRP. Um, but they're like shorter grass. They make, they may cut it and bale it or something. Um, but it's predominantly timber. And I will say that the, the couple areas that I, that I really liked that are a little bit closer to the truck are kind of like plans A and B. And then if all else fails, my two and a half miles from the truck in the middle of the deep ass timber up some hills that'll damn near give you a heart attack. That's like my plan C. Those are my, if I got to come back in November on a weekend and I know there's going to be people there, that's the, I'm packing in two hours before daylight and staying the whole damn day Yeah. in, you know, I found a killer saddle that's about two and a half miles from the truck up a steep ass hill on one side but it was just littered with big scrapes. I mean, like size of your truck hood scrapes. I don't know why we use the size of our truck hoods as the measurement tool for, <laughs> for scrape, like where that became the de facto standard. I've never used it. I know a lot of people do. <laughs> They're like, dude, there's a scrape over here. It's big as your truck hood. And it's like, okay, that's kind of the standard by which we measure scrapes. But there's two of them right on top of this saddle. But man, it is a freaking ball busting hike to get in there. Yeah. Um, so like I said, if I got to come back in November when I think the bucks are cruising a little bit more uh, and I want to try to maybe get away from some people and do some all day sits, that's that's going to be my spot. And awesome. hopefully nobody else is there. Woo. Well, I tell you what, man, sounds like you have a full plate for this fall. I do. I do. It's going to be exciting. Five states. Hopefully I can kill a deer with antlers somewhere between those five states do you think your wife would actually divorce you no way because then she'd really have to take care of the kids on her own she'd have to go get a job (laughs) uh, or find some rich guy to take her in and who wants to take in somebody that's got three little kids that's That's right baggage (laughs) so no she's screwed i'm screwed we're stuck together there's a huey lewis song about that it's a great song i forget what it's called but yeah She's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Cool. So make the most of it. Absolutely. Well, man, good luck. And if you uh, are in Iowa and you kill something big, because it'd have to be big for me to drive up three hours. I I understand. (laughs) If you kill something mediocre, don't call me. But if it's over like 160, then I'll call you. Uh, You know, if it's a a 150-inch eight-pointer. I'd probably, I'd probably come and help you drag it out. Oh, you're a hell of a guy. Now this, this is a, the question, is it legal to quarter a white-tailed deer and pack it out of the woods in Iowa? I don't know, but I would assume yes. See, I don't know either. And I've been Google searching this and there's a bunch of forums, including I think the Iowa whitetail forum, people were talking about it. And there's a lot of people that say no. There's a lot of people that say yes. There's people that claim they've talked to conservation officers who say, no, it is not legal. You know then what? there's people who say that it is. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I actually think, I actually think it, it, you cannot do it because I think you need to remove the entire carcass from where you. Where is, you do you cut. have to remove the entire carcass or only the usable parts of it? Because um, there's wanton waste laws, right? That say you can't just shoot a deer and cut its head off and right. take the back straps and, and see it later. Right. But I don't know that it says you must remove the entire carcass from the woods. I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, because, I mean, technically, if that's the case, you shouldn't, you know, shouldn't but, I mean, gut what, it in so, the woods. Right. I mean, what if you just gutted it and cut it in half? What if you just literally chopped the thing in half to lessen the weight, put it on a deer cart, made two trips out instead of trying to drag a 200-pound deer by yourself yeah. two miles? I don't know what the answer to that is. Well. But I'm like going to find out before we talk again. I will find out. Well, I tell you what, for anybody who's listening to this podcast, I want – there's got to be someone from Iowa listening to this podcast or a DNR officer in Iowa or somebody that they need to comment on the uh, Facebook when I post this, comment uh, whether or not it is illegal or legal to quarter a deer out and bring it back. I mean, I yeah, would assume I, that if it's big enough to shoot, you you might be getting it mounted. So you'd want the sure. You'd want the cape. Yeah. So you would cape half of it, right, and then chop the head off, bring that out, and then take the quarters out. Yeah. I mean, it seems reasonable to me. I would even be willing to just cut the dang thing in half so I could 
take two trips. Yeah. Right. Instead of one trip, if I'm by myself. Yeah. But to, I would to like to know about. if it is illegal. I want to know what the actual law says. Yeah. Like not just hearsay. Somebody's got to point me in the direction <laughs> of the actual regulation and like what you could be fined for if they caught you chopping a deer in half and taking it out of the woods. Right. Well. And you know the DNR is listening. They listen to all these things because they're trying to bust. They're trying to bust us because we're celebrities. That way they can make a name for themselves. You're not going to bust us, DNR. <laughs> we're law-abiding hunters. I think this is a perfect st- st- place to stop the podcast. I agree. Well, hey man, good luck uh, this upcoming season, and, and there is a good chance that uh, you're going to be on uh, the podcast before the season actually even starts. Fair so, enough. Uh, good After luck. After my turkey season, yeah, I'm going to talk go. to you about shooting turkeys in the head. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, good luck, man, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Justin Czar, so thank him, Mr. Justin Czar. Thank you for hopping on the podcast today. Thanks to all of you for taking time out of your day to download. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you're getting uh, your podcast from, and what that'll do is it'll feed it automatically to you every single time, and you won't have to go out looking for it. So uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast, Hunter Safety Systems, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Prime. Uh, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because they support this podcast and I can continue making content that we all love and enjoy Uh, and other than that go tell your friends about it make sure you're uh, joining me and the Sportsman's Nation on social Uh, look for Nine Finger Chronicles look for Sportsman's Nation on Facebook and Instagram and uh, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week